This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Rose Studios in the crap part of Soho, and from a fairly crap, not-to-be-named hotel on Hyde Park Corner, Rog, in a very nice part of London. It's the Men in Blazers podcast. Oh, Dave, phoning in from Londonium. Londonium. You're there for as NFL the Romans Fest. called it. NFL Fest. I'm right? there. I'm there for the. I'm here for the football, Rog. Let me ask. It's uh, London has gone NFL crazy. Has it really? In the same way as LA has gone soccer crazy, gone mad for its yeah. galaxy. Here's what I want to know. Here's what you are there yeah. with NFL Network all week. Here's what I want to know. I mean, we see the games in Wembley. Are they into it, the English? Are they really, like, into the NFL, like, fully appreciative of the nuances, like your average Cleveland Browns fan? Or are they just kind of, like, into the American circus? Like, shout like we've seen on TV. Shout out things like a million dollars and eat a hot dog. Are they just kind of, like, into that nature of things? Which is it? This is how I want to answer that question, Rog. There are both groups. There are people who are really into it and know a lot about it. And there are people who are just American football curious. But regular season games have yeah. been coming to London, the London series since 2007. And they really invested. I think this was the 23rd game in London this past weekend. They sold 46,000 season tickets, Rog. That's people who bought all three London games this season. 46,000 season tickets. For the first time this weekend when the Titans played the Chargers, the shirts, yes, there were a few random shirts, but there were real Titans fans, real Chargers fans, not just the ones who'd come from America, but they sold out Wembley Stadium. And this game coming up this Sunday, the Eagles against the Jags, our beloved Jacksonville Jaguars. Bring back um, portals. This is the biggest game that's ever been played in London. Two teams were in the final four last year, and it's, it's huge. And there's a buzz about it. And the one thing I would say, yes. and of course, the NFL is never going to be bigger than the Premier League over here. But you and I have discussed this before. You come to London and you sort of have this impression that everybody's going to be Premier League crazy. And they're really not. Most of my mates couldn't be really bothered about it. They're far more interested to go and talk about the NFL. Obviously, the NFL have got a long way to go to become as big around the world as the Premier League have. But they've got a product. got an interesting thing going on, Rog. And the game at the weekend was fantastic. I just taped a show on the NFL Network with your mate Kyle Brandt. About my own fandom, oh, yeah. my own love of your Super Bowl 53 winning Chicago Bears, which goes back to the days. And this is what has made me think about the progress the sport's made. I, I fell in love with the Bears when English TV broadcast NFL. They broadcast just the highlights for one hour once a week. But the highlights, they were, <laughs> they were always a week late. The show would air on a Sunday, <laughs> but the highlights of the show were from the previous week's games. <laughs> now, this is the days before the internet. There was no newspaper coverage. So to follow the Bears Super Bowl winning season, I used to go round to my best friend Jamie Glassman's house. We just randomly, when the Bears, we knew they were playing, we just randomly called 312 Chicago area. <laughs> <in the> first, <laughs> just like phoned them up. And people... People would just like pick up the phone and God bless you people in Chicago. Some of you must have fielded uh, one of our calls. We just phone random strangers up and people would be like, hello. And we'd be like, hello, how are the, how are the Chicago Bears doing? Uh, and yet Chicagoans being possibly the world's greatest people, they wouldn't only tell us a score. They'd be like, the Bears are up 21-3. Matsui just ran off tackle for seven yards. They then stay on the phone for like up to 30 minutes just talking to us about the game, about life, about Chicago. And that, kids, is how you followed sports before Twitter was invented. <laughs> but, but to me, the NBA, I mean, is really the sport that can go next level, right? It's fused so much that's aspirational within global culture. The players, their social media manifestations of themselves kind of outstrips those of any other sport, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and look, and you, you drive around South London uh, from whence I hail, Rog, as uh, it's called these days Concrete Catalonia because so many uh, football players are coming from South London these days. Um, and you see basketball courts all over the place. You see people playing basketball. But what they're doing within this NFL development program right now, and they're developing these international football players around the world, I wouldn't be surprised. The NBA has not moved as fast as the NFL with this London series. Next season, four games, 
they're building that new Tottenham stadium with this going to be NFL ready. All the people at the NFL have been raving about this stadium. I got to tell you, the NFL are really making a hard charge. And I think it's exciting. We had Arlo White in the studio yesterday, Raj, for Good Morning Football. Cheating and on us for the another talent. sport. Yeah, and then he took the talent off to go and see Arsenal versus his beloved Leicester in the evening. What? And uh, he loves, like you, loves the Chicago Bears. <laughs> really blew everybody away with his knowledge. You know, he and I, well-known fact at this point, which I've talked about on the pod, he and I both went to our first NFL game on exactly the same day, exactly the same game. Indianapolis Colts of Gary Hogaboom pre-season Bears flatten them God I love that man and his passion for the sport here's what the NFL does have that I think is primed to take it next level Andrew Luck wearing a crap cat oh, tie oh yes Rod wearing a men in blazers you see it the crap cat tie to top off that fine ensemble yeah but see you view that as a, as a sign that football can really make it I see that as the end of the NFL <laughs> I see that as basically the end of days. Roger. If you've not seen it, I think it's on our Instagram. We posted it. It can only, His look can only be described as Peaky Blinder meets PGA Tour hopeful. Oh, God love him. He then went out, took off our tie, put on his Colts jersey. He only threw for four touchdowns. I've got to say, when I saw that, I thought, ah, that might just be the thing that takes NFL next level. Facts. Yeah, it was against the Buffalo Bills, Rod. So it wasn't really. He could wear he could wear the tie before a game against the Bills. Uh, it was pretty easy. Poor another performer, Rod. Somebody who's blowing everybody away with his performances on the field. Wayne Rooney, the Men in Blazers. Wayne Rooney special aired last night. What a show, Rod! You captured Wazza in a moment of warmth and honesty. I was blown away. The entire thing is now available online. We've put a link on our website, um, meninblazers.com. Check it out. Oh, it was an honour to be involved uh, with producer J-Dubs, yourself, the whole Men in Blazers team, to create a show which I think pays tribute to what he's done this year. I've not seen such a radical in-season transformation of a team season since, well, since Charlie Sheen and Corbin Burnson led those Cleveland Indians from worst to first in Major League. That was a real documentary, wasn't it? The joy of Rooney, (laughs) to me is that he's catalyzed DC United's turnaround. He's done it with both a joy and a humility. And, and the show we released yesterday, if you haven't seen it, look at it uh, online. It was a joy to film because he's having such a blast. He's having such a blast here in America, away from kind of the British tabloid media. Uh, and he was willing to talk to us in an unguarded way, which meant he dropped a lot of wisdom, life wisdom, that I think carries weight off the field. Uh, as well as on it. And I do, I'll say this, I hope they win the whole bloody thing. I was actually just trying to look up what Alexia has tweeted about Wayne Rooney expecting to find something like Wayne Rooney distinctly average or something like that. Yeah. I he's, love it. He's, he's, the, he's like the poor, the ma- poor man's Paul Caligiuri. That's probably, I would imagine, <laughs> to be in that ballpark. I can tell from the reaction on social media, everyone really enjoyed it. And we're back on television. Oh, we're sorry. This coming Monday... October 29th at 6.30pm Eastern Time after Manchester City tussle with Tottenham at Wembley with the NFL Lions still on the ground, Rod. <laughs> They'll still be there. Uh, really, for real. There's the, everybody's very concerned about all the NFL lines that are going to still be The game uh, might on still be going pitch. on, mate. The game's still <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be a great crossover. <laughs> OK, we've got a packed show. We're going to break down Chelsea's last gasp draw with Manchester United. Felt like a win, Rod. But I was the there. We dissect two very different wins for league leaders Man City and Liverpool and we talk a massive victory for Everton in the game known world over as the Rog Rebecca Lowe derby let's start with that one oh no we'll start with a toast Dave I want to raise my first second bud of the day I want to raise it to life Dave I really do I'm I'm feeling quite I'm like a seeping open wound of emotion as I speak to you it was my son's bar mitzvah at the weekend. Oh, I forgot to ask. Oh, it was a magnificent couple of days. It was a reminder, as if you needed one, that life is about consciously making memories. And my son, Bear, he's a boy who, who remembers and savors every detail. I, I just love, I admire the depth of his emotional memory. It's, it's so rich. It's so nuanced. It's so textured. And it's very real. And life is complex. I think everyone listening to this podcast knows that even Manchester City fans have a hint that that's a life truth. But life's filled with times of great challenge, times of pure wonder. And when you're in a room like I was, 
on Saturday night, filled with love. I just want to raise my bud, say never waste a second on such an occasion, dear listener. Savor them, store them, and the memories that you make, they both shape you and they fuel you. They give you the ability to drive through every single one of life's challenges. So bud fam, blood fam, to laughter, to love, to being together, and to making memories. Oh, cheers. Did you dance like a fool again, like you did at Samson's Bar Mitzvah? Can neither confirm nor deny. I did make sure that everyone from work who I invited was not posting anything on (laughs) on their social accounts. Producer John Johnson, God love him, posted a lot, but there were no human beings in any of them. They were just (laughs) just like, I'm at a Bar Mitzvah, here's what the ceiling looks like. The speech you made at Samson's Bar Mitzvah was very moving. I mean, you cried through most of it, but it was very moving speech. Did you do a similar speech? I've just given, Bezzy, I've just given you it? the edited highlights. That was the whole speech. <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> pub- I hope we publish it in full in the newsletter. Uh, that would be wonderful. Oh, to Roger. life, Dave. To life. To Stamford Bridge also. Chelsea 2, Man United 2. When Jose Mourinho returns to the managerial octagon that is Stamford Bridge and the technical area thereof. You know it's going to pop off. After a 21st minute, Rudiger snap header gave Chelsea the lead. United stormed back, Rog, behind two second-half major lasers from Anthony Martial. But in the sixth minute of injury time, Rog, oh, it felt so good. None other <laughs> than the Rossitron, Barkley, <laughs> smashed home a rebound. It was like a second rebound to tie the game and prompted a sideline skirmish that we will dissect in hyper-tactical detail here shortly. In the end, Chelsea remain unbeaten but fall off City in Liverpool's pace. United, meanwhile, on 14 points through nine games, they are in 10th place. After the dramatic reversal of fortune, let's say, and the nipple-tinging drama that was that Newcastle victory, Jose Mourinho, he had a pretty odd international break. He had to weather a salty time as just one iconic United player after another took to the airwaves and utterly lambasted him. They mullered him. I mean, most noticeably, legendary midfielder Paul Scholes who derided Lukaku, suggested Pogba was wildly inconsistent and claimed this is just that he must have been in the bath and just snapped up and said, I've got it, I've got it. Even Lionel Messi would struggle to shine in Mourinho's beleaguered United outfit. If only Jose could get his team playing half as well as the Premier League writers, Dave, because they pitched him right into battle against unbeaten Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. And you, you, Davo, you were there. What was the atmosphere like? It's weird. Post-international break football is always a slightly weird time. People are sort of getting back into it, not quite knowing what to expect. There's a lot of drama there. Josie Mourinho returning to Stamford Bridge, Rog, but also little cuddly Juan Mata returning. Lukaku. returning. Lukaku. Wheels within wheels. Turncoats. I mean, so many wheels within wheels. And so it was a fairly tame atmosphere at Chelsea, as it often is. United came out in force and got to hand it to those fans all the way from Guildford. They, um, <laughs> they, 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 they sang their songs. They put up a good show. I looked early on to see if Man United were going to really go and play for their manager, because you're right, over the international break, they're all piling into him. And yet they did come out and they played quite hard. And they played very physical quite, football. Yeah. I must say, Rog, Lukaku... I thought he was the Man United mascot when he ran on the field because he is so enormous. He really ate a lot of waffles over the international break, Rog. He was looking enormous. But Man United came out and played very, very You mean, you mean like Manchester United's gritty? Yeah, absolutely. Like they're gritty. Oh, you know what? He'd make, like they're Gunnosaurus. That is a... That is a great tactical idea, Jose, if you're listening, in terms of probably how to get the rest out, Romley, right now. It was a robust start. It was almost that first half, 1970-ish nostalgic tribute football played with little space, lots of kicking lumps out of anyone who came near you. And I Especially thought, Eden Hazard. Yeah, yeah, a lot of Eden. A lot of Eden uh, trying to knock the sprightliness out of Eden, smothering him. United tried to play coiled on the counter. Chelsea, a lot more energy, a lot of it catalyzed by Jorginho, and I'd say United's tactics, smothering Hazard, coiled on the counter, worked pretty well until the 21st minute, when yet again, and this is possibly the most un-Mourinho statistic of all time, United conceding from set pieces used to be un-Mourinho, but it's now so bloody routine. Chelsea corner, and what happened, David? 
Well, just Man United completely and utterly failed to defend it. It was surreal watching it come in. It was just surreal. They just you just watch Rudiger get free, and you're like, okay, so who's going to go with him? Is it going to be uh, Smalling? Is he going to go with him? Is Lindelof going to go with him? Is Matic going to get on him? Just nobody moved, and he snapped it in. Great finish from the best dancer on the Chelsea team, Rod. Yeah, it was Pogba who was marking him. And to be fair to Paul Pogba, who's taken a lot of crap for uh, the marking job he did on Rudiger. I think looking at it again, he was momentarily confused by what must be a just a painstaking existential question for Paul Pogba, whether he should post a picture of himself marking Rudiger <laughs> on Insta story or Insta proper. And while he was thinking about that, Rudiger just swept in, headed the ball down past the exposed Dave saves. I thought, oh, Paul Skulls must be a very happy man with that goal. Cue Sarri on the sideline in his day release from the sanitarium outfit, looking like a man who just hoped that the Marlboro Reds he was going to smoke at halftime wouldn't be the only Reds that he was going to smoke on this day. Your Chelsea fans chatting, easy, easy. Oh, it felt a bit game over, Dave. You, you had Matic struggling to offer anything in the midfield. There was no Fellaini on the bench as plan B. When that ball went in, I kind of expected Chelsea to dominate from there on in. Did you? Uh, and I was there with my nephew. I turned to my nephew and said, now's the time. We've got to score a couple more. Because you've got to put them away. And Chelsea had a lot of chances. They had a lot of breaks. Morata just like, you could just feel the tension around Stamford Bridge about Morata every time he drifted out of position onto the wing. Chelsea had chances, but Eden Hazard, I think this was his first, I'm not saying poor performance, but it's his first sub meteoric performance of the season. And he just wasn't quite himself. Maybe because he had the lumps kicked out of him early on, but he just wasn't quite himself. You know, the player to me that kept United in the game, it was Morata who kind of trots around the field, looking a bit like like a confused Brendan Fraser in cleats. Yeah, he's really good looking, but it never quite masks the truth that he's not very good at what he does. And Murata, I've come to believe he might be the first truly great daytime soap opera star trapped in a footballer's body. Should give it up. Just, God, go for a daytime Emmy, bro. Go for a daytime Emmy or whatever you have. I think you're massively you're massively underestimating him. I, I think he's he has primetime potential, Roger. I don't think Murata <laughs> has to stay in daytime. I think he can do one of those like primetime telenovelas in South America. I think he should be going there. If you're listening, Murata, listen to Devo, not to Rog. One of these men knows about television. But once again, we have Jose Mourinho walking into a locker room at halftime, down a goal to deliver what is starting to become, I guess, is favorite team tour which one of you lads that i have humiliated tortured bullied wants to step up save me and be a hero <laughs> do you know who it was it was david louise rod <laughs> <laughs> was it he humiliated him tortured him <laughs> and it was louise in the end who stepped up for the manager that's what was so i good. love you we're gonna get to david louise but this time it must have been anthony martial who put his finger up and said i'll do it boss could he just charge onto that field a different player. I was trying to work out, and I've had a lot of Manchester United. There's a whole Manchester side to, to the Rodge family, and they all came over for the bar mitzvah. They all go Old Trafford. They all sit behind the bench. And I asked them, why do the players respond? Why do the players respond? Why do they still listen? Why do you think they still listen? Because they clearly do, David. They just came out a second, a more determined team, a higher tempo, a more aggressive down the flanks. But why do the players... First of all, why do they still listen? Well, one, I do believe that all the stuff, the internecine stuff between the players and the manager is overreported because it's a great story. And look, they're still professional footballers. The definition of a professional footballer is that, you know, they want to go out there, they want to score goals, they want to make assists, they want to look good, they want to post on Instagram, they want to drive fast cars and they want to shag birds. And it's very tough to shag birds and buy fast cars and post on Instagram when you're losing. So they still want to win. They're professional footballers, Rog. These are very good players. And watching the games throughout the game, you're struck by how individually good those United players are. They are are really good footballers, Rog. They are really good footballers. We can make fun of them. We can laugh at them. But they are really, really, really tasty footballers. And by the way, they play... You know, not beautiful football. It's not the football that you like. You know, it's not the football that Arsenal are playing this season, not the City are playing or Liverpool playing or even Chelsea are playing. But they are good. They're good footballers, Rog. (laughs) They are good uh, footballers. Here's the consensus from the United diehards in the Bennett family. They're not really in the Bennett family. They're on the fringes. They've all married in. I I believe (laughs) 
this is what they think. They believe Mourinho knows he's not going to be fired this season, in season. Mourinho has tested the ceiling of what United are prepared to do and not prepared to do. They don't want to be a revolving door for managers. They desperately want to get to the end of the season with Jose. They don't want to have, just have more intrigue. So he's got some leverage. He knows he's going to be around and he's able to say, I'm going to be here for the next seven months, like it or lump it. If you want, I can throw you under the bus for that period. So the players have to respond and respond they did. A moment of slop in the Chelsea box. United just overwhelming that Chelsea bat line. Alonso, interesting calculated risk, lying in agony on the floor, hoping the ref would stop the game and then leaping up once the goal had gone in and wandering back to the halfway line. Marshall unmarked. Controlled the ball, rifled it home coolly. And then again, the second goal, just excellent. Matter, Rashford found him. I loved how Martial knew what he was going to do with the ball even before it came to him. He just pushed it into space, teed up a whiplash of a shot past the cruelly exposed Kepa. I mean, it was a goal of ruthless, extraordinary quality. And in those moments, I realized what you said, Davo, that lost in the Mourinho Palace intrigue is just how good a footballer Anthony Martial is. You watch him and he just oozes natural clinicality. Now, look, I had to save my Chelsea hat on, both defending Chelsea and also attacking Chelsea at the same time, which is being a true football fan. They gave up two unbelievably sloppy goals. It was massive defensive mistakes. Alonso just criminally staying down on the ground. Yes, he was touched, but not enough to stay down there and not defend exactly the exact square meter where the goal came from. And then for the second goal, David Luiz, that challenge on... Juan Mata that he just missed on the sideline that sort of released him down the right to go and uh, make the goal. But yes, clinical finishing, something that Chelsea weren't capable of themselves. Clinical finishing, great goals, and they had all the momentum. And the United fans were singing, and the Chelsea fans were sitting on their hands, and they were desperate. And the United fans, Rog, the travelling support, the hardcore from all around the London area, they were chanting Mourinho's name, chanting his name. It's his base. It's the base. It's the Mourinho base. I mean, by the way, about Martial, great tweet from at FedFox89. He said Martial was Mbappe before Mbappe. We do forget that. We forget that despite all the ill will, despite the psychological trauma that must have built up through this, you know, months now of this war of attrition that Jose Mourinho and he have waged, or as I'm sure Jose sees it, uh, I sharpened his edge by exiling him to the bench for nine months. I mean, he's been ostracized. He's been embarrassed until he was primed to go. He really, I mean, he's clearly primed to go right now. And here's what I want to ask you before we talk about the close of this game, both the equalizer and then the afters. United had responded and they really had. And this is clearly what this United team do. They, in this slightly surreal kind of Kremlinology, politically explosive time, they do respond so well to going a goal behind. It's remarkable to me because there is so much scar tissue on this United squad. Lindelof, Rashford, Smalling, Martial, so many of the scars actually inflicted by Jose Mourinho. It seems that they do need to place themselves in just a dire context of challenge before they come alive, before they become aggressive, before they become dominant, before they up the work rate. And you have to wonder, why does it take them going behind before they step it up and rock it. I, mean, I think it has a lot to do with the way the other teams come out and attack them. And they certainly give up a lot of opportunities. But look, they're professionals. They're good players. They come back. They were very well organized in the second half. You know, changed their shape a little bit. You know, their fullbacks always look dangerous coming up the wings. You know, both Ashley Young and Luke Shaw always got a lot of space. They're a good football team, Rob. They're a good football team. I tell you who else are good. Chelsea, they're fit. They are tenacious. Amazing stat. Before this game, they had netted eight goals in the final 15 minutes of games. United almost there, within touching distance of their first win at Stamford Bridge since 2012. How Jose would have loved that. We are six minutes into injury time, deep into the final seconds. And then you had the excellent David Luiz header. Excellent. I mean, it caused the chaos. It was curl-powered from way downtown. Q Dave saves, and then a lightly hero amidst the slot, the rebounds, that steroid-using lover of both the cream and the clear, Ross Barkley. David, what emotions Absolutely. did you feel as he stabbed it home and oddly eerily kind of celebrated on his own? It had been a really frustrating final 20 minutes. Mourinho had used every dark art in the book in order to try and run out 
regular time and uh, get to injury time. This bizarre Rashford injury and the walk halfway towards the touchline and then the walk all the way back the other side. So much time <laughs> wasting. And that got the crowd really angry. It got the Stamford Bridge crowd really, really up, actually. And that seemed to like get the players really, really up. And I sort of felt that Chelsea were going to get one more chance. In fact, at some point, I think four minutes injury time, I turned to my nephew and said, we're going to get one more chance. We're going to get one more chance. I was right behind the line of that David Luiz header. I thought it was going in for a second. It rebounds off. Rudiger goes in, hits it against Dave. And then in comes the Rossitron. Rog, I mean, he's a player reborn. He wasn't meant to do this at Chelsea. This wasn't the reason he was transferred to the team. Crowd favourite. Crowd favourite. Is he really? Because he celebrated on his own. The other players, they kind of like one or two of them patted him on the back. But for a last second winner against the hated Jose, it was weird how few of them actually came anywhere near him. He just kind of wandered back to the halfway line on his own. It's like going to a mixer at a new school where you don't really know anybody. No, it was pretty big. He went into like the corner of a fairly you know, good set of hardcore fans. I think everybody thought it was offside originally. And I think it only wasn't offside because Lindelof played them all on. It was a huge moment. And suddenly there is nothing like the United fans who'd been singing and dancing and jumping up and down and taunting the Chelsea fans all the way throughout injury time. Suddenly, just to watch them all shoulders down, it was just... There is nothing like that moment. It was a draw that felt like a win. My lip reading is not what it used to be, but I'm pretty sure David Luiz came up to Ross Barkley in his moment of glory and patted him on the back and said, well done, Danny Drinkwater. I didn't think you, you had it in you. <laughs> anyway, come for the football, stick around for the drama and the chaos. Let's get into it. Marco Yanni, second assistant to Chelsea coach Mauricio Sarri. We all knew that before this occurred. We're very... We're very knowledgeable about the depth chart of the Chelsea coaching staff. I think second assistant means you're the one who picks up Sarri's tracksuit dry cleaning, 12 packets of cigarettes and a tall non-fat latte with caramel drizzle that he likes on a daily basis. He decided not once, but twice to, <laughs> to celebrate the goal by swooping inches from Mourinho's face in goading celebration and things, Dave. They all went, they all went a bit, let's just say, Chris Paul, Brandon Ingram, Rajon Rondo, they all became a bit of a shambles. What did you make of it? Well, I couldn't tell initially what had happened. There was just like, I was right opposite it on the other side of the stadium, you, right on the halfway line. You were line. trying to get it Zola. Yeah. Oh, my word. It was, you couldn't tell what's happened, but you could see Jose going insane. But you could also see Jose eventually returning to the bench, and you knew he hadn't been red carded and sent to the stand. So you kind of knew it might not have been totally his fault. But a lot of this had sort of been boiled over because of Jose's tactics in the final 15 minutes and all the time wasting, the injuries, all the kind of all the kind of rubbish. What the Chelsea assistant did, though, was inexcusable. Of course, it's nothing that Jose wouldn't have done himself, exactly. but it was inexcusable. And I have to hand it. I mean, my, my final thing on the incident and the players, you know, started trying to get involved. But at the end, the players were all like very good to each other. It was a sort of a sporting contest. But I felt that what we've never seen before, or that I can't remember in the history of the Premier League, is, and I really hats off to Maurizio Sarri, is that he came out afterwards with an absolute 100% apology. He sent his assistant to go and apologize to Jose Mourinho. He went to the media immediately and said, we were in the wrong, this was wrong, this shouldn't have happened, and diffused the situation immediately. I can't remember yeah. a Premier League manager doing He'll anything learn. like that. He'll learn. And this isn't about, no, this isn't about like pro Chelsea or anything. I've been critical of Sarri, but I like the fact that he wasn't trying to score any points. He just admitted it was wrong. It shouldn't have happened. And I like that. It's amazing what a man will do when he just wants a cigarette. <laughs> oh, I'll take the blame. Can I go now? I just want a cigarette so unbelievably badly. I loved what he said. I didn't see what happened, but I have spoken to Jose Mourinho. I understood that we we're in the wrong side of the situation. I will say, Saudi Arabia, I think you listen to this podcast. Take the Sari approach. Take In life, take the Sari approach. It takes a huge man to step up and take the blame. You're right. You do not do that in English football. And it was, it was incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful and incredibly noble. And I hope it lasts. I hope it lasts. It was remarkable. Because I will say... You know, Mourinho was an innocent on this occasion, and I've actually got a lot of respect for him not backing down. It was a, there's a real symbolic power right now, I'm sure, for his players to see him symbolically kind of charge at all comers. But for context, he's no victim in this. This is, this is Mourinho's currency. This is Mourinho's style. This is Mourinho's own medicine. I mean, Mourinho 
poking Tito Villanova in the eye uh, when he was mm-hmm. at Real Madrid, sliding on his knees to celebrate uh, at the new Camp or sprinting down the sideline when he was Porto manager after shocking Manchester United. I mean, it's almost boring to be candid. I'm almost bored talking about it and we do should move on because, you know, I was chatting to J-Dubs about it. There's a WWE side where it's always Mourinho. I wouldn't be surprised if, let's just say, next weekend's game against Everton, he just lifts up from somewhere a collapsible metal chair and hits Marco Silva over the back of the head. It's just what he does. What was most fascinating to me is his relationship with the Chelsea faithful, for whom, as he pointed out, he won three titles. That relationship is raw and complicated. Hence their immediate chant of F off Mourinho, David. What, what, can you describe the Chelsea fans' feeling about Jose, who put the club on the pathway to greatness, yet there's that just there's a darkness at the heart of that relationship right now? I think there was an exhaustion at the heart of that relationship by the time it was all over. An exhaustion at the heart of it. I'm sure a lot of United fans relate to this. You're just constantly ashamed and exhausted about how he handles his post-match conferences, what he says, everybody just getting at you about Jose Mourinho being your manager. And I think what he did, the reason for the F off Mourinho was that what he did in the final 15 minutes of that match, it was like quite difficult to watch for anybody who enjoys football. Of course, Chelsea fans have cheered that kind of activity before, but they, they really hated being on the other end of it, I can tell you. Look, we have a lot of respect for people who have been at Chelsea. Juan Mata got a wonderful ovation when he, he was did. substituted towards the end of the game, even when Chelsea was still trailing 2-1 and he'd been the architect of their of their game leading goal at that point. But yeah, Jose, pff, there's no love anymore. There might still some people who love Mourinho will always be grateful for the trophies, but right now he's going to get booed every time he comes to Stamford Bridge. He's a footballing little finger who changes sides and alliances at will. Uh, I'll say to see a man who should be a club legend like Shankly at Liverpool or even lesser lights, Mancini at Manchester City, that, I've got a feeling that may not have made Mourinho feel raw to have heard F off Mourinho on the day, but I believe it will on reflection. Chelsea, Sarri's Chelsea remain unbeaten. And part of me, last word on the, on the rumble, part of me thinks Mourinho probably allowed himself to be goaded into a reaction the second time round. He didn't the first time, but he knew the incident would claim the post-match headlines as it has and mask a truth that Manchester United are currently 10th, nine points behind the top two, a quarter of the way into the season, seven points off a top four place, which is it's rather shocking. Anyway, Rog, now to the really big teams in the Premier League. Man, City, five, Burnley, nil. Smiling, Joe Hart returns to the club where he won every major domestic title and after a warm welcome proceeds to get bludgeoned by his former teammates. Goals from Sergio Aguero, Bernardo Silva, Fernandinho, Riyad Mahrez, that was a strike, and Leroy Sané see City stay top of the table ahead of Liverpool on goal difference. Yeah, no big team smites the beta males with more ruthlessness than that Manchester City industrial complex. 5-0, and I have to say, Joe Hart had a bloody good game, excellent game still in the Burnley goal. You could say City barely had to break sweat because the game was just a finishing masterclass. So many different players scored. Won the strike from he's not so good anymore. Riyad Mahrez, as you say, KDB back. Oh, I did love Joe Hart right at the end of the game when he just let in his fifth. He finished up by squaring up to his own goalpost and just fighting it like a glitching EA Sports FIFA goalkeeper, which ultimately he probably is. Most menacing stat, Davo. Five clean sheets in a row now. For Manchester City. Huddersfield nil, Liverpool one. One of the world's best Albanian, Swiss, Egyptian duos, Rog, uh, Shakiri <laughs> and Mo Salah, combined for the game's lone goal in the 24th minute, while Liverpool's offence still looks a little like that app, which hasn't quite finished its update. They do keep a clean sheet and stay level on points with City. Yeah, they look tasty at the back, Rog. Yeah, for a long time, I'll be honest, this game was harder to watch than that video of Steven Seagal being made an honorary Russian Cossack via a celebrity flogging with a leather whip in Krasnodar that, thank you, maybe 4,000 of you have sent to me. That that video seemed to be all of my deepest fears compressed in real time. And, and Huddersfield in this one, this game was also many of my own fears. I mean, they were valiant. They were endeavour-filled. But they ended up, again, with zero points. So a, a quick word on Huddersfield, then we'll get to Liverpool. Few teams have had in Premier League history have had such a poor return uh, on shots 
to goals. They are truly, truly more than pretty well any Premier League team I've seen shooting blanks. It's going to be a long, long season for all Terriers. But Liverpool, Dave, Salah scored, fascinatingly, still look miserable in the act of doing so. Liverpool, they did struggle. They've got so many injuries. There was always going to be something off in this one. And I think that's fascinating to hear Klopp after the game. He's feeling the pressure to entertain, but he's also balancing that against pragmatic needs to win. He said, where's the football? He asked himself. It wasn't that bad, but it's the first period in my life that we win average matches, yet we cannot write a book tonight about winning trophies. Do you see a balance, David? What do you see when you watch Liverpool? I think the one thing I watch is just is there just the quality of their defending, Rog and Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez, who had just an amazing game. Amazing. Just at the heart of everything good and even set up the goal with the pass that released Shakiri in midfield. I thought that they're so good defensively. He hasn't had the option of playing football like this before. I don't think this is an option. I think that it's not quite ticking in midfield, not quite ticking up front in the way that it has in, in seasons past. But this is title-winning football. This is, this is the way that you compete for titles. You've got to win these tough games. Look, I mean, Arlo was commentating on this game. I asked him what he thought. And he was like, oh, yeah, Liverpool just not quite there right now. There's something just not quite right. But, yeah, he said that sort of made the same point, that there is a pragmatism here that might just be the best thing going for Liverpool. And, and I don't think there should be too much criticism of them right now. I mean, football is all about balance, all about a simple heart, how many players you can devote to attacking while locking down the back. And Liverpool this season focused on both questions, which has meant, yeah, less goals, but it's also meant, oh, Alisson, six clean sheets and nearly caught at the season gone. Liverpool undefeated. They've equaled 23 points from nine games that they achieved 10 seasons ago. The best in there. Premier League era and that that's without really clicking up front yet and when they do and they will I've got a feeling we're going to see a Klopp heavy metal football that just conjures a slightly different sound it's still going to be heavy but maybe maybe it could be a power ballad Liverpool's version of Twisted Sisters the price oh it's going to be truly thunderous last night's game Rog Arsenal 3 Leicester 1 avant-garde Arsenal absolutely fillet the foxes with three stunning pieces of play that were less goals and more stanzas. At the heart of it all, the much-maligned Meza Ozil, Rog, who scored the first and had a hand in the other two. Rog, he becomes the leading German goal scorer in the history of the Premier League. Arsenal are in fourth place, just two points behind Liverpool and City. Yeah, and this one, the team know officially now as we've got our Arsenal back. Win again, this time against the Slabhead and Vardy double threat. Middle England's Pippin and Jordan. Leicester lively, but after they've taken the lead, Arsenal storm back. I loved Iwobi, who was fantastic in this game. Loved him post-game talking about winning mentality. And he talked about the removal of the fear of failure. I mean, no, no mockery, but it was remarkable to see someone in an Arsenal jersey saying both things with a straight face. It's an amazing, an amazing feat that Emery psychologically uh, has affected in a very short time. But this game, as you say, it was all about Ozil going next level, tying the score with an exquisite strike on the cusp of half-time. Oh, the, just the, the caress of a poetic, tender lover. And a second goal scored by Obama Yang, but set up by Ozil passing into space, taking out five Leicester defenders in the process. The sexiest thing I've seen since the take my breath away scene in Top Gun acted out on a football field. And that third goal, Dave, I mean... Oh, should have got three assists, as many of you have said, for that, for the flick, mm. the dummy, and the pass in the end. What, what, what do you make of him right now, Meza? It's confusing. It feels like it was just early this week that we were writing him off. Um, and he's obviously, he's had, you know, not only he's been criticised at Arsenal, but heavily criticised in Germany as well, uh, with his performances for the national team and his now sort of retirement from playing for them. So it's remarkable what he's done. I love the fact that he's come back. The biggest shock is I'm loving watching Arsenal play football. I'm actually look forward to it. I'm loving that they're winning. I think it's great for the Premier League. That's how it used to be. I will say, Meza, every great thing he does now feels more than a football act. It feels like human vindication. And when he's on form like he was against Leicester, he is. He's, he's, like a, he's more like an artist, a sculptor, just an avant-garde visionary who, when he wants, can see space. He can see time. You can see everything around him differently to other 
more mortal human beings, I tweeted that he uses the football field as his canvas, the ball as his brush, he's Salvador Dali in football boots. And that led <laughs> Dinarkin tweeted back, maybe he needs to dab his brush a bit more than twice every 90 minutes. I, I, I agree that you could make a case against Ozil that he probably needs to pack his paintbrush against the big boy teams too. But wow, let's just celebrate what he did yesterday because it was humanly remarkable. It was thrilling for me to watch. I'm not an Arsenal fan, but seventh Premier League win in a row, 10 in all comps. And as you're saying, what a title race we've got. City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs and Arsenal, reborn Arsenal. Wow, just wow. It's, it's, it's one for the ages. News for Leicester fans, Jamie Vardy and his wife set to follow in the footsteps of Winston Churchill and the Dalai Lama. They've been invited and accepted to speak at the Oxford Union. That's at the Oxford University. It's an incredible honour. And I want to say, I want to be the first to say, you can put chat get banged up against any Churchill quote, right, David? I think they hold up. Am I right? I'm not sure that the Oxford Union is quite what it was, Rog. <laughs> anyway, West Ham nil. Get the Red Bull and bodies in, lads. One Spurs win at London Stadium, thanks to a glancing header from aesthetically angular Argentine Eric Lamella and a series of impressive saves from Hugo Lloris. Tottenham a level on points with Chelsea and Arsenal Rog, just two points adrift of City and Liverpool but they play City next week Rog. Monday oh, but four league wins I'll say this for a team who are a shadow of themselves is a remarkable achievement if I were a Spurs fan I would be a cup half full Spurs fan right now I mean the goals aren't flowing exactly but your team is still winning despite all the injuries, despite a still kind of on and off Harry Kane, and despite that nagging albatross of the delayed stadium move, the fact that Spurs are still resolutely winning games, to me, is a stealth wonder. And Eric Lamella, he's become the man you hoped he would be when he moved to Spurs in what feels like the late 1980s. Ten goals Mm. he's been involved in in his last nine games, seven goals, three assists in all comps. And that Manchester City game is going to be oh it's going to be everything Cardiff for Fulham to a six goal thriller in South Wales sees the Bluebirds get their first win of the season since your visit cursed them Rog their win allows <laughs> them to peak their heads above the relegation zone floodwaters oh and they also scored more than three goals in a top flight match for the first time since September 1961 I remember podding after that game it was delirious Fulham though oh leaking goals on a record pace with the noble American Tim Ream and his fellow Oof. defensive mob just exposed on a horrific basis. Fulham manager Jokanovic, now the bookies' favourite to be the first fired in the Premier League uh, this season. I think they might be coming in for Greg Berhalter. He's so hot right now. We'll see, Rog. Wolves nil. Watford 2. The up and down Orns get a victory over one of the stories of this young season. Two stone-cold stunners from Etienne Capu mm. and Roberto Pereira to see Watford stop a five-game winless skid. Yeah, and it's the greatest tribute to me to Wolves' unbelievable start to the season and how they've re-established themselves as a true kind of power in the Premier League is that this result was a massive, massive shot. Two fine goals for Watford are back. And amazingly, Nuno has started the exact same eleven for Wolves in each of the first nine games, an astonishing record. It's going to be interesting to see if he, you know, starts mixing things up from here on in. Newcastle nil, Brighton won. The tune slipped to the very bottom of the table thanks to a 29th-minute goal from Beram, Kyle, and some tidy goalkeeping from All-1T, Matt Ryan. A good win here, Rog, for the Seagulls. Yeah, a win that was more than just about football, probably about redemption for Brighton manager Chris Hewton, nicest man in the game, coldly mm. sacked by Newcastle eight years ago. Newcastle had all the possession. They made the shots rain down, but they couldn't score. And their record at home, this is astonishing, played five, lost five. They've had a tough, a brutal schedule, but oh, there's darkness on the edge of Toon. Rafa Benitez already briefing the press that we must hope for three teams worse than this. There are, but sadly one of them Sunderland, and they're already in League One. Bournemouth nil, Southampton nil, a South Coast derby point serves to stem the bleeding for the Saints, who'd lost three on the bounce coming into this one. The Cherries remain in sixth place. Everton, two, Rog. Crystal Palace nil, a Jordan Pickford kick save yes. from a penalty, Rog, and two goals in the last three minutes from super subs Dominic Calvert-Lewin and 
Jenk Tosin keep all three points at Goodison. How are you feeling, Rod? Oh, I watched it with the whole bar crew in town for Liverpool. It was truly possibly the greatest moment of my season. An Everton debut for Barcelona reject Andre Gomez, who I thought we'd only signed to make ourselves better looking. He was excellent, though. Just like a measured, rhythmic passer in midfield. The poor man's Jorginho. Palace, though, tremendously well-organised. Just stifled Everton's forward intentions admirably. Offered very little in the final third. Until your man, Will Zaha, drew a penalty. It could have all been so different, right, Davo? If Milivojevic... Oh, if, he, if he'd scored... If you're going to hit it down the middle, you can't hit it low. You've got to hit it high. Oh, agony. And little Jordan Pickford, the tiny wonder. Oh, what a kick save. I once made a film about goalkeepers and all of them, all of them bemoan the fact that they couldn't celebrate saves in the same way as strikers celebrate goals. But I will say, Jordan Pickford has changed that reality. His adrenaline-filled little fist pumps after he does jaw-dropping saves. They just are the probably the joy of my season. And it felt like the game was just going to peter out only for Everton. Beautiful Everton to send the bombets for hype into overdrive, scoring twice in the last three minutes. Forgotten part, Dominic Calvert-Lewin headed in a stunning cross from, I will say, an unbelievable ball from substitute excellent oh, Adamola Luckman. God, it was such a gorgeous pass. It was like oh, the reaction to that should have been on the same par as the revelation of Chris Pine's penis at the Toronto Film Festival. I've got to say, Luckman, no player, oh, resembles more like the head of a baby has been welded onto an elite athlete's body. Baby Luckman, I adore that man. And then moments later, a third sub, Jenk Tosin, full name, even Jenk Tosin scored, netted the winner at Delirious Goodison Park. Third loss on the trot for Palace. We think, don't we, Dave? And you know Steve Parrish listens. You should fire Roy Hodgson and then hire him again immediately to save the season. Everton, though, yeah. won three consecutive Premier League matches for the first time since January 2017, and Manchester United now await on Sunday for the David Moyes Memorial Derby. Well done. Good win. OK, we've got some breaking news as we approach the final day of the regular season. Atlanta United have announced today that manager Tata Martino will depart at the end of the season. Yeah. Oh, vying to lock up their first supporter shield in just their second season. Oh, but a fascinating time of turmoil for the club. Our mate Miguel Almiron, rumoured to be Europe-bound, and now coach Tata Martino will become Mexico's next manager starting in December. A huge loss for the American game and a huge gain for Mexican soccer. We have club president Darren Eels headed into the panic room this week to talk about success and the challenge that begets. I cannot wait to discuss this. Send us your questions for that beauty. And can we just say, Mazeltov, as they say in Minnesota, to... That club for pulling in 52,000 fans, that is a, that's a remarkable achievement in America. And I'm looking forward to hopefully getting out to Minnesota with you in the next 12 months and just celebrating that fast-growing football culture, which is developing there. It's magnificent. All of this weekend's Decision Day games kick off at 4.30pm Eastern Time Sunday. Sporting KC take on LAFC with first place in the Western Conference at stake on Fox Sports 1. The rest of those games will be on ESPN+. Plus. OK, your Premier League weekend looks like this. Kicks off at 10am Saturday with Liverpool hosting Cardiff City. Then Sunday at 9.30 at South London versus North London as Arsenal travel south of the river to take on Crystal Palace. I'm going to be there, Rog, with my son George. And at noon, it's Man United versus Everton. And it ends with Tottenham versus Man City Monday at 4pm Eastern Time. That's followed by the Men in Blazers show, We're Sorry, with guest Taryn Killam. At 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It's 6.30 p.m. this week, not 5.30. Let's have a shot of Jägermeister, Rog, and portend what the future holds. What is your Jägermeister telling you this week? <laughs> oh, that's possibly one of the highlights of my week. But this week, Dave, my Jägermeister, it tastes of tears. Taste of Everton scoring first. Bernard's trickery, tempting Chris Smalling to round his own goalkeeper and finish clinically. Oh, but then United will go into overdrive in the second half. I'm sensing a Marcus Rashford double and a late, long-range thumper for Matic. Oh, same as it ever was. Rog, mine actually tastes of the unthinkable. It tastes of happy Roger. I like Everton to see off Manu in that mid-table clash of the ages. I think it's going to be our South London boy from Concrete Catalonia, Rog. Your boy Lookman 
I think he's going to do the damage. He's going to come on as a sub, score the winner. Q scenes of delirium in the Bennett household. Man, 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 okay, there are many. It doesn't get any better than what you've just told me, and I'm sure it won't get any better. There you go. Many ways to connect to us, including an now extinct Amazon Emporium, which has transformed into the Men in Blazers Bald Mart. Anytime you buy something big or small from the Bald Mart, we get a tiny percentage of us to produce additional, albeit suboptimal, content. What are you putting in the Bald Mart this week, Roger? A book. Oh, the piranhas, oh. the boy bosses of Naples by Roberto Saviano. Oh, what a hero Saviano is. He's best known as a 38-year-old Italian journalist who's had to live the last 12 years of his life under police protection after the mafia passed a death sentence in reaction to his journalistic sensation, the book Gamora. The book, which has turned into a movie and an unbelievable television series, it dug into the Gamora's practices, which he believed undermined the entire city loves Naples. And this book, it's a work of fiction, but it's one grounded in so much truth. It looks at the rise of a baby gang of teens who seize power through violent bravado, propelled by aspirations created by Hunger for Money, American Mafia movies, Grand Theft Auto, and the chaos of the city. Pretty much listening to that, it's how you think Premier League players' minds work as well. It's a book that's soaked in Naples, the local dialect. You can tell at times a translator is struggling to move it into English. But if you love the television series Gamora, which is one of the best things I have ever seen, you will adore this book. It's occasionally hard to follow, but impossible to stop thinking about a bit like Naples itself. Okay, Roger, you know I've been on a bit of a North African kick. I love a Moroccan interior. I love a Moroccan garden. But I've been taking it a step further, thanks to a GFOP, and I've been developing a taste for the region. An unknown, anonymous GFOP, Rog, sent me the Mediterranean Herb Cookbook, Fresh and Savoury Recipes from the Mediterranean Garden by George Ann Brennan. Please, I do not know which GFOP sent me this book. He just sent it with the Amazon receipt, but no details of his name. Just like, oh, I'm sure you're going to love this book. Love the pod. Thanks for all the work that you and Roger do. But this cookbook, it's sensational, Rog. We're talking flavoured oils, herbal vinegars, marinades for days from places like Italy, Greece, and the aforementioned Northern Africa. Some great seafood dishes in here, Rog. It's 100% pesco approved. But please, GFOP, who sent me the Mediterranean Herb Cookbook, Fresh and Savoury Recipes from the Mediterranean Garden by George Ann Brennan. Please let me know who you are. I want to thank you properly. My money's on George Ann Brennan being the mystery sender, Dave. But that's just... <laughs> <laughs> You can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davis, at Roger Bennett on Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davis on Facebook, at Men in Blazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at menandblazers at gmail.com. We wrote a book, Roger. It's called The Encyclopedia Blazer Tanica. It's amazing. Seeing it George all over London. Yeah, seeing it tucked <laughs> under people's arms on the subway. It's available at all good booksellers and some bad ones too, including something that rhymes with Amazon. It's everything we know about football, and it's shockingly longer than three pages. Vendor Punk Rod. War Pig. Who wants to sex Matombo? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To tweed. Avocado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu fighting America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. Love you, London. Love you, George and Brennan. <laughs>